Back in the late 90s, we started to hear a lot of bad news about the Canadian music industry. We heard how downloading was continuing to hurt album sales. We heard how the big record companies seemed to be in it only for the money. As for the pop mainstream, well, it just got more and more mainstream. Right at that time, Canadian pop music seemed to hit a very hard wall. Canadian music reached a point where it needed to reinvent itself. Canadian pop critic Nicholas Jennings. I think artists understandably lost faith in the major labels. And, you know, the major labels themselves, I think, had kind of lost touch with the street, if you like. Sure, every, every major label has its A&R department, but there weren't a lot of brilliant signings happening either. I think that, you know, maybe with the economic struggles of the record industry in the late 90s especially, there was less adventurousness or willingness to go out and seek new talent. I think those two factors led to an environment where artists themselves started you know, making it happen. In a climate ripe for change, one group of artists did make it happen, and they were unlike any other pop band in Canada. In 1999, musicians Brendan Canning and Kevin Drew came up with a radical idea for a musical collective they'd call Broken Social Scene. Whereas most pop bands had fixed lineups, Broken Social Scene used a shifting collection of artists always coming and going, defying easy categorization. Broken Social Scene became a community of experimental and independent musicians, constantly redefining themselves and their sound. And they'd find their home on Arts and Crafts, an independent company formed by Jeffrey Remedios, a music executive who had left a major label. It's been a pretty magical experience. You know, I highly recommend that if you plan to start a music company, you start it with Broken Social Scene. Um, they're a, they're a special group of people, for sure. I mean, you've got Kevin and Brendan at the center of it with people oscillating around them, but everyone is so talented in their own right. Together, Jeffrey Remedios and the band began to build a new model for Canadian pop music that would reach its zenith on the group's 2002 album, You Forgot It in People. On this, the group's second CD, Broken Social Scene announced that Canadian pop music was not only alive and well, it was fresh with new and explosive ideas. Broken Social Scene is usually defined as an independent band. But what is independent music? Is it a sound? A genre? A philosophy? A pedigree? Or is it all of the above? Broken Social Scene's You Forgot It and People is what you might describe as independent in spirit. Songs that are atmospheric soundscapes like Capture the Flag and Pacific Theme share equal space alongside intricate ballads like Lover's Spit and I'm Still Your Fag or they run up against the playful punk pop of anthems for a 17-year-old girl. On You Forgot It in People, you hear what Christian Horde of Rolling Stone called symphonic clatter, subtle atmospherics and spacey pop melodies, what might result if a jazz orchestra wrote first-rate pop tunes and recorded them in a garage. Used to be one of the rats and ones and liked you for that.
You forgot it and people became the happy culmination of a growing despair, one that had been fermenting in the Canadian music industry since the early 90s. Toronto, like a lot of cities in North America in the early 90s, experienced a kind of post-Nirvana effect where... Uh, grungy rock music was fashionable and, you know, the major labels here in Canada were looking for their next nirvana, you know. Toronto music critic Stuart Berman has written a book about broken social scene called This Book is Broken. He talks about the lean days leading up to the formation of the band. So you had a lot of stalwart sort of bands in Toronto like Change of Heart and the Rio Statics who all got signed to major labels. And, uh, Brandon Canning, a broken social scene, was, you know, sort of caught up in that wave with his band Head, who signed a deal to IRS Records in uh, the U.S., which was uh, R.E.M.'s first label. And what happened inevitably is, you know, the labels throw a bunch of bands against the wall, none of them stick, and then they get dropped. So by the end of the 90s, you had people like Brandon Canning and also, you know, Jason Collette, who was a sort of longtime Toronto singer-songwriter, and Andrew Whiteman, who would sort of played in various bands in the scene, Kind of, you know, trying to pick up the pieces and, you know, and I think there was a sort of retreat back in the early 90s. You know, everyone's out there trying to get signed because that's what you thought, that's what you had to do to make it in this uh, industry. But I think by the end of the 90s, there was a bit of disillusionment and people just sort of went back to their bedrooms and their garages and, you know, just started trying to make music for themselves. As many independent Toronto groups went right back to square one, Brendan Canning, who was a member of the group by Divine Right, started dreaming of something better. The turning point in his own musical ambitions came when he met Kevin Drew. I met Kevin still when I was in By Divine Right, when both Feist and I were in By Divine Right, and we had kind of known each other a little bit from around town, kind of like see him around Rotate This, record shop on Queen Street. You know, he would give me flyers for his band show. They did a couple gigs at this bar right near my house called The Mockingbird. I think it wasn't until maybe a year and a half later till he uh, he was playing a friend of mine, his new album, this outfit called Casey Accidental, which he had done with Charles Spearin. And yeah, I really dug it. You know, I didn't know what he was uh, into or about, but I knew I liked him. I knew I liked just something about him. So I think that kind of gave me the, the impetus to ring him up and sort of say, oh, let's get together. You know, maybe we can work on some music. From that meeting between Canning, Drew, and fellow musician Charles Spearin, a bond built on friendship was formed. Here's Nicholas Jennings. In the case of Broken Social Scene, it really evolved out of a group of friends jamming together uh, night after night and, and realizing that what they were making, the way of music, was, was so much better than anything they were hearing on radio, certainly, but even coming out of, you know, the new signings coming out of the major record labels. I mean, the turning point, it really happened um, with the collective of musicians who came to be known as Broken Social Scene. I mean, they, they found a, a sort of a new energy and a, and a new sound, really, through uh, that collective collaboration. According to Stuart Berman, those collective collaborations were highly experimental in nature. Broken Social Scene started as a home recording hobby project. I mean, it was like one of four bands that Brendan Canning was in back in the turn of the decade. And, you know, Broken Social Scene was just another one of Brendan's projects at the time. He was also involved with uh, another band called Cookie Duster, which were sort of more electronic dance-based group. So, you know, I don't think a lot of people necessarily took the band that seriously to start. It was just Brendan and his new buddy, Kevin Drew, go into the basement, lay down some really kind of ambient, soundscape kind of stuff. You know, the, the melodic pop element wasn't there right away. Some of those basement experiments would bear fruit on Broken Social Scene's first album, Feel Good Lost, released toward the end of 2000. On that record, Brendan Canning and Kevin Drew, along with producer Dave Newfeld, began to discover the shape and form this band would take. Here's Brendan Canning. I think the philosophy started when we were making Feel Good Lost. It was very just, you know, I, I, I don't really feel with any group I ever played in, I really got to exercise a true voice. And that was kind of how we started. Just hit record and see what happens.
The group of friends that Brendan Canning, Kevin Drew, and Charles Spearin gathered around them for their first CD included singers Leslie Feist and Emily Haynes, guitarist Andrew Whiteman, violinist Jessica Moss, and drummer Justin Piroff. They would be part of a rotating cast of players that would make up Broken Social Scene. Another addition was trombonist Evan Cranley, bass player in a Montreal band called Stars who knew Kevin Drew before there was any notion of a broken social scene. I met Kevin Drew in the late 90s in Toronto when I was living there, and he invited me to play um, on a session at CIUT with a guy named um, Charles Spearin on a record called Casey Accidental. And that kind of was one of the many different bands that helped to form Broken Social Scene before they were Broken Social Scene. If Feel Good Loss served as the foundation for You Forgot It in People, by the time they started performing live concerts in 2001, Stuart Berman began hearing the emergence of a very eclectic rock group. At the beginning, it was hard to figure out exactly what kind of identity they had. You know, they had finished this album, Feel Good Lost, at the end of 2000, and it was a very ambient, instrumental, moody record. There was only vocals on, you know one or two tracks and even those vocals were buried in the mix or chopped up and you know discombobulated but when they started playing live in early 2001 they were already kind of turning into a rock band it was a very freewheeling sort of experience where you know Andrew Whiteman would sing some kind of Latin song because he was studying Cuban music and then they do an extended sort of dub reggae jam and then Kevin being a fan of bands like Dinosaur Jr. and Pavement would pull out this like jangly indie rock song And it was just, you know, everyone on stage was having a really good time. And the sort of unifying aspect was this sort of joy and enthusiasm. The songs themselves were pretty disparate in terms of genre, but the feeling that they were being performed with was very unified in the sense it was just this sort of all the songs would kind of build to this euphoric moment.
That was Stars and Sons from Broken Social Scenes You Forgot It in People. While the group that played those 2001 shows was growing more diverse musically, they were also becoming diverse in their stage presentations. Stuart Berman saw them on many occasions, where the band would change like shapeshifters from night to night. In 2001, they started playing a lot of shows at places like Ted's Wrecking Yard on College Street in Toronto. And every show was very different. You know, you'd have the sort of space rock set where they'd play behind a projection screen. So, you know, their appearance would be totally obscured. And then they would have, you know, shows where they would just play like snappy indie rock songs in the vein of like Dinosaur Jr. And even for those shows, they actually changed their name temporarily to a band called Do the 95 which also turned out to be a, a title of a future B-side. But that's just good to show you, like, there was no plan, really. They figured, okay, we're doing this kind of music now. It's sort of different from where we started. Let's start a new band to represent that. The Motley style experienced in those stage shows would soon be incorporated into You Forgot It in People. Here's Brendan Canning. The fact that we had a producer like Dave Neufeld and a studio where we could really work, you know, any hours... He played a very large role because he was able to wrangle all these musicians while trying to wrangle, you know, Kevin, myself, and Charles, you know, Charles Spearin, who learned a lot, and I think we all learned a lot. We managed to get through seven months of recording in a very tight, confined, windowless studio.
That was Looks Just Like the Sun from Broken Social Scene's 2002 album, You Forgot It in People. The band's first record, Feel Good Lost, was initially issued on the independent Noise Factory label. You Forgot It in People, though, had the potential to break them internationally. However, they needed a major label to bring them to a wider audience. At which point, a record executive named Jeffrey Remedio stepped into the picture. Here's Nicholas Jennings. Jeff Remedius had been frustrated um, working at a major label. And, you know, he saw the writing on the wall. And uh, you could say that he was quite prescient in getting out when he did. Um, because, you know, the record industry really was collapsing at that time. And, and the, the conservative nature of it was something that I think really chafed. Remedios had been working at Virgin Records Canada. In 2002, he decided to branch out and create his own label called Arts and Crafts. Well, I was starting to form this, this, this idea or concept of doing things myself and um, was looking, f- was trying to put the pieces together, was trying to build, I was trying to build the house in terms of w- how the mu- I felt the music business should be run or how a music company could prosper or really add value to, uh, to an artist. Remedios had been friends with Brendan Canning for years and a former roommate of Kevin Drew's, and he immediately began immersing himself in the Toronto music scene. What he saw was the possibility of marrying the innovative experiments of a band like Broken Social Scene to a label modeled on the best of what the major companies could accomplish. Even to this day, I can't discredit sort of major labels or big corporate structures as evil because there might be, you know, parts of that process or or parts of those structures that that are unhealthy or that are um, motivated by things I don't think they should be motivated by. But... But, um, you know, in the right hands or used in the right way or, or with your assets protected in the right way, there are, there's, a lot, um, there's a lot of good that you can get out of a, a big system. And so I've always tried to look at the world and, and, and look at different pieces of the world as, you know, seeing the different sides of arguments and seeing the different sides of approaches and, and trying to pick the best in terms of how we would model arts and crafts, not just be completely um, independent-minded in spirit and ignore all the rules and lessons I'd learned at a, at a major label, or um, do this uh, or emulate a major label and repeat the mistakes that they've made. When You Forgot It and People came out in October 2002, Remedios released the CD as a joint effort between his new arts and crafts label and the independent Paper Bag Records. Within a month, the album became quite popular in Toronto, selling out its initial run of a thousand copies. At this point, Arts and Crafts signed a national distribution deal with EMI Music Canada, giving the group national exposure. When a positive review soon appeared on the music site Pitchfork, it drew the attention of American music executives and got them a U.S. distribution deal through Caroline Records. Just a few years earlier, death knells had been heard all through the music industry. Now, broken social scenes started breathing new life into the business, and they didn't have to sell out to do it.
was cause equals time from broken social scenes you forgot it in people when you hear this record it's clear that while brendan canning and kevin drew are at its heart they aren't the whole show many of their friends on you forgot it in people made significant contributions evan cranley made his presence felt on an instrumental called pacific theme a song that bore some resemblance to the soft pop of burt Bacharach. I, I'm really influenced by that kind of Bacharach, kind of um, really breezy type of uh, of music, and uh, that was something I really wanted to contribute to the record. I think every th- piece of music on that album has a, a a place, and it is just so eclectic, but works as a whole as a record. And uh, I was glad I was glad I was uh, allowed to bring that kind of breezy, airy kind of retro feel to a, a track like a Pacific Theme.
That was Pacific Theme from Broken Social Scenes, You Forgot It in People. Two years before singer Leslie Feist became recognized as one of Canada's most talented young singer-songwriters, she contributed significantly to You Forgot It in People, something duly noted by Jeffrey Remedios and Brendan Canning. Truth be told, I think Leslie is so incredible and so talented that broken social scene or not, Leslie Feist would be the the incredible, talented, respected household name that she is now. She just adds an excitement that you know is inevitably hers, and no one else can quite conjure up what she does. I mean, that's why people like her. And although she, you know, when people see her play play live, and you know, it's a certain amount of torch songs and a certain amount of you know lighter pop. Um, you know, really great music, but you know, nothing like what she does with Broken Social Scene.
That's almost crimes performed by Feist with Broken Social Scene on their 2002 album, You Forgot It in People. While Almost Crimes reveals the high-octane energy of the group, another track, Lover's Spit, owed something more to the wistful balladry of Jeff Buckley. Kevin Drew and Brendan Canning were quite taken with Buckley's music. We both were massive Jeff Buckley fans at different times in our life, or maybe, or maybe roughly the same time, I guess, because he didn't, you know, have a very long shelf life. You know, and I wasn't really a vocalist at that time, so I think Kevin really, you know, was drawn a lot by that sort of emoting, the way Jeff, Jeff Buckley would emote. So I think that's a pretty fair assessment and, you know, a nice compliment. was Lover's Spit by Broken Social Scene on You Forgot It in People. For music critic Stuart Berman, another aspect of the band's personality is heard on Anthems for a 17-Year-Old Girl, a song he compares to yet another famous rock anthem. Their Stairway to Heaven kind of anthem is uh, Anthems for a 17-Year-Old Girl in terms of the song that, you know, the second the first chords start playing, people just freak out. And I think that's one of those songs that really sort of captured that fragile mood of the time. And it's, you know, it's this weird, creaky folk song with a strange, like, alien voice effect. And But then it blossoms into something beautiful. And And even though the lyrics are sort of cryptic, they sort of project this feeling of, you know, isolation and trying to get out of it. And and people seem to really relate to that. It's the song of all the times I've seen the band, and that's probably over 50 times at this point. You know, it's the one song that, you know, always seems to get the crowd uh, in a very emotional mood. Used to be one of the rotten ones, and you liked you for that. 
That was Anthems for a 17-Year-Old Girl, performed by Emily Haynes with Broken Social Scene. After the fall release of You Forgot It and People, the group toured throughout the winter, all the while successfully adjusting to the complications of creating a fixed touring schedule for such an amorphous band. In 2003, You Forgot It and People took home the Juno Award for Best Alternative Album. When the American release of the record followed that summer, praise from Rolling Stone and Spin Magazine led to sold-out houses across the U.S. Besides earning deserved praise for a truly inspired album, the collective nature of Broken Social Scene also produced other dividends. Here's Nicholas Jennings. 
really the, the thing about Broken Social Scene is it, it was almost like a bird's nest with a bunch of hatchlings that eventually took flight. And, and, you know, you can just see the careers that have taken off, if you like, from the starting point of You Forgot It in People, you know, with, with, with Feist, who's really become, you know, sort of the most exciting star Canada's produced in the last, uh, you know, I would say the last 10 years. I mean, she's really, really, um, you know, taken the whole sort of arts and crafts and broken social scene inspiration and ethic, you know, now t- around the world. Feist, one, two, three, four, from her third solo album, The Reminder, was released on Arts and Crafts in 2007 and sold worldwide over a million copies and was certified gold in the U.S. The CD would also win a Juno Award for Album of the Year. But Feist isn't the only hatchling to sprout wings out of broken social scene. In 2003, Arts and Crafts released Jason Collette's solo recording, Motor Motel Love. Kevin Drew would put out his first solo work, Spirit If, in 2007, while Brendan Canning would follow in the summer of 2008 with Something for All of Us. In the pop world, when most other band members made solo records, it generally heightened the tension in the group. Not the case with Broken Social Scene. Furthermore, they fit into the arts and crafts philosophy perfectly. We're strong believers in artist development. We're strong believers in that, you know, real art takes time. And um, we try to be passionately committed and loyal and at the same time fiscally prudent and, uh, and have a real dialogue and a real conversation with our artists and with their fans or their potential fans and just work obsessively to bridge that gap. In fact, there is very little gap between broken social scene and their fans. They found a way to solve the age-old conflict between art and commerce by working with a record label that values its artists. As for You Forgot It in People, the songs would continue to find life in other domains. Lover's Spit would turn up in a number of places, from Clement Virgo's 2005 sex drama Lie With Me to Showtime's 2003 TV series Queer as Folk. A number of songs from Feel Good Lost and You Forgot It in People would be heard in the independent hit Half Nelson, which featured Canadian actor Ryan Gosling. In 2007, Broken Social Scene scored music for Bruce McDonald's experimental feature The Tracy Fragment, starring Ellen Page. For many, like critic Stuart Berman, You Forgot It and People became an indispensable album for a number of very good reasons. Well, I think like all great art, it's created when no one's looking. And I think if nothing else, this album captures a moment, you know, when a bunch of friends just got together and sort of realized there's strength in numbers and created something beautiful. It was messy, it sometimes doesn't make sense, but there's definitely a purity to it. And there's no way to recapture that once you start get a certain level of fame. Even if you try to not think about outside pressures, there's still the fact that you're putting energy into not thinking about outside pressures that you know can help cloud your judgment. So I think You Forgotten People was really this waking up moment for a lot of people in the Toronto scene and it was just this realization that what you can do together with your friends and not relying on an industry to help promote you it's you know the classic indie rock ideology do it yourself and that's what they did on this record Mm -hmm. 